When immigrants started arriving in New Zealand in the 19th century, they brought with them some enthusiastic composers, or perhaps more accurately, musicians who composed on the side. Their success rate was a bit hit or miss, according to composer and musicologist Philip Norman, who's going to be delivering a talk about our early composers. Certainly Alfred Hill's famous Waiata Poi was undoubtedly a hit, but was it technically a New Zealand hit? Watch your supple wrist and the boy twirl and twist. Hear the gentle tapping against the rope, wrapping of this fascinating thing. Tiny ball on a knob string of this fascinating thing. Tiny ball on end of string. Tiny ball. Tiny ball. as well as his upcoming talk about early composers at a symposium next month. At a concert this afternoon, Philip is launching his new book, A Complete Absence of Wit and Wisdom, a selection of his articles, lyrics and talks from five decades of writing. Philip says the earliest European composers came to Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, They were mainly bandmasters of military bands. Back then, military uh, groups came with a band attached. Uh, The um, the more wealthy the um, commander, the bigger the band. And uh, they had to provide music for all the entertainment uh, that went on. And so these um, bandmasters would compose marches, uh, often in honour of the uh, colonel of the regiment, and play at the balls, play at the uh, civic occasions. Uh, so they started to um, uh, write uh, appropriate dancers. They were really the first professional composers in the sense that they were being paid and as part of that employment composed. Uh, Looking at 1840s, 1850s there. So we're looking at military music rather than say aspiring classical composers or independent composers. When would they have started coming here? Well I guess in a way they they came when um, the the first uh, pioneers came over bringing their pianos, as I think most New Zealanders are aware because of the uh, the fame of the piano film. The piano was a highly prized possession in the uh, colonies back in the 19th century and uh, everybody tried to bring one that uh, would... Um, again provide the entertainment and the the long lonely nights Uh, and of course when you've got a piano and people playing it sometimes they turn their hand to composing and so uh, many of the first musical compositions appeared um, through the domestic piano if you like the composing for oneself at home or composing for one's friends New Zealand song, and we perhaps need a definition of what we mean by a New Zealand song too. Oh, the definition of what constitutes New Zealand composing is a really difficult one and really fraught. In in the book I'm writing on New Zealand composition, um, my definition really is composition in New Zealand. If it's been composed in New Zealand, uh, then it is therefore a New Zealand composition. Well, I've seen I've seen Baron de Thierry mentioned alongside, perhaps being credited with, if not the earliest one of the New Zealand earliest songs still in existence, and I guess still in existence is also another key point, isn't it? 
Uh, there were some really colourful characters in the early days. Uh, you mentioned uh, Baron de Thierry there. Uh, he um, could be credited with the first composition published within New Zealand. Uh, now, de Thierry is a really fascinating character, uh, a bit of a remittance man, if you like. Uh, he was uh, sent uh, away overseas and he um, had this mad scheme about putting a canal through Panama and everybody thought he was bonkers. He spent some time there trying to raise the money, but nobody was interested, so he was a child ahead of his time there. Um, he thought he had bought um, most of Coromandel Peninsula and was coming across to New Zealand to establish his own um, republic, if you like, uh, and unfortunately when he arrived here, he discovered that uh, the uh, Maori uh, who lived there... Um, disagreed that they had sold it uh, and so he ended out his days as a um, piano uh, teacher and uh, he wrote a thing called Waitamata Polka uh, as uh, one of his first pieces and so that has the distinction with that lovely backstory of being really the first composition we know of that was published within New Zealand. So whalers of the deep, deep sea, that's uh, uh, like one, a mythical bird. Uh, there are only two copies of the, uh, that piece in existence. Uh, it was um, uh, tuned by uh, Māori uh, Tehuhu um, and words by this Mrs. St. George. Mrs. St. George was quite a well-known writer. Um, she uh, wrote for Dickens's Household Words, uh, amongst other things, and uh, put out a, a book of poems uh, uh, raising funds for um, wounded soldiers in the Crimean War. And the music was arranged by a professional arranger in London. And it's actually quite a good song. Uh, I've... Um, given a public performance of it. I arranged uh, it for string orchestra and soprano, and uh, I was quite delighted with it. It's rather nice to have a song of that calibre uh, with a, a stake in the ground as being the first surviving New Zealand composition published. That's in 1857, I think, is that right? Uh, yes. 1857. Uh, yes, we don't really know the dates uh, Exactly, but uh, yeah, we've worked out 1857. Having said it's the first surviving one, um, uh, another researcher, Elizabeth Nichols, uh, using the advantage of um, the search engines, have discovered a few pieces by band masters, uh, uh, one by the name of Daniel Davis, um, uh, which have survived in the British Museum because... Um, Everything published is deposited in a library, and this was published in England. So so there we have it. The first New Zealand compositions, if you um, want to look at it like that, was um, uh, from the 1850s. However, and this I think is quite an interesting fact, there is a lot of evidence to suggest that the first uh, influence of um, New Zealand on classical compositions, uh, in fact, came with a, say, a work such as Beethoven's Symphony Number no. Seven of of uh, eighteen eleven twelve. Quite a number of uh, authors over the years have indicated that the uh, rhythm of the main theme of the second movement is uh, that of uh, Maori chant.
Beethoven probably heard the uh, the haka with um, one of the early um, Maori visitors to uh, England. Uh, there was a, a Maori uh, called Mohanga, I think, of Napui, who um, is said to have been the first Maori visitor to England, and uh, he would have been demonstrating the haka and other elements of Maori culture around some of the courts of uh, um, London. Philip, uh, is, there, is, there, is there any evidence that these early composers we've been talking about, um, Baron de Thierry, uh Daniel Davis, for example, perhaps were aware of te reo Maori, uh, Maori instrumentation, uh, Maori chants? You know, are there, are there any early compositions? I mean, I'm looking at Te Huhu and wondering his story. We don't know much about Tehuhu musically. His composition uh, is probably as European as one could uh, expect to get. It's uh, got elements of uh, Handel, really, is the uh, closest one could think. So that was uh, whoever Tehuhu was, was obviously very familiar with uh, European music. So flipping that on the other side then, do, do, in any of these early songs in the 50s, 60s, 70s, do you hear, do you see any Māori influence? None whatsoever, no. They're very definitely uh, European parlour pieces. Uh, you mentioned the Māori instruments, the uh, tonga, poroa. They didn't really impinge upon the consciousness of the uh, European settlers uh, Back then, uh, the one or, or two uh, elements of the Maori music that really grabbed the uh, settlers' attention was the haka. Many, many instances of that, uh, uh, of it being really quite uh, spine tingling. Operetta. So we've been talking about specific styles of composition. We were talking about the the army bands before operetta. When did that become popular? Because it was became huge. Oh yes, it was well back in the days pre television um pre uh, any uh, electronic uh, entertainment um that was the um, the way uh, pioneering uh, families um, provided themselves with uh, entertainment. It was uh, the most assimilable uh, of uh, all the sort of art forms really because it had a little bit of everything um, uh, drama, dance, singing, um, what have you and so it was really very popular uh, we're talking about very light opera uh, here as being the most popular uh, but there were was quite a number of um, serious operas going around and we we exported one, didn't we? Wasn't there a New Zealand operetta that opened in England? Uh, uh, yes, hilarious story that. Uh, probably somebody who could be called our first New Zealand composer uh, by the name of Sorrell had, had the bright idea of taking the HMS Pinafore, which was a huge uh, hit uh, at the time, and... Uh, writing a sequel about it, which he called The Wreck of the Pinafore. Uh, and this was uh, to follow the lives of the characters who had just married on the pinafore and are on a desert island, and uh, they all discover that they've married the wrong person. And so a, a little bit of wife swapping goes, and um, by the end of the 
the wreck of the pinafore, we've got a whole new coupling. Well, this Sorrel had the bright idea of taking it to the very theatre that um, uh, the HMS Pinafore had enjoyed a three-year run uh, in London and uh, launched it there and was met with some of the most fiercest um, uh, criticism uh, (laughs) ever unleashed. uh, the wreck of the pinafore was um, the title was used to describe the production itself, and instead of the three year run that Gilbert and Sullivan enjoyed, it was about a three day run. Oh well, they gave it a shot from, from <laughs> the from the old songs that we we might have a better understanding of now. Some of the most famous ones, Pukarekareana, Now is the hour, Hine Hine Waiata Poi. Um, there's four. Of those four, which would you classify as genuine New Zealand songs? Uh, well, definitely Way Out of Poi. That was written by uh, Alfred Hill uh, in about 1907, uh, and it became really famous, really uh, well-known, thanks to some international recording artists singing it. Uh, uh, I think anybody over uh, a certain age... Uh, uh, still at school in the 1960s will know that one because it was still very popular and then it suddenly sort of dipped out of sight in the 1970s. Hine, eh, hine, uh, uh, yes, yes, I would definitely classify that as a genuine New Zealand song from the early 1900s. The others uh, that you mentioned, uh, Pokerikariana and uh, what Nara's the R, uh, which um, we know it in its English title, definitely both um, New Zealand lyrics, but they are set to tunes that were written somewhere else. Um, uh, the melody of the Now is the Hour was written by an Australian as the Swiss Cradle Song. It's been slightly uh, changed over the years um, from that Swiss Cradle Song, but there's no doubt about its provenance. Uh, those two songs really belong to the the rich tradition of um, ballad writing or, or lyric writing that went on in New Zealand from the time anybody arrived. Uh, they wrote their music or their poetry and then set it to an existing tune, uh, a very typical sort of folk uh, singing thing to do. So in terms of it being New Zealand music, no, the music is not New Zealand but in terms of it being um, uh, New Zealand um, folk poetry, yes, very definitely it is. It sounds like you've had a fascinating time delving into this world, Philip. Is there a, a favourite of yours in terms of an early composer in New Zealand that you'd really like more people to know about? Well, uh, I think we need to look further at Alfred Hill, really. There is somebody there that... Uh, was uh, and did have an international reputation, particularly in the 19, 1890s to um, first decade of the 1900s. Uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love us to try out more of his works and uh, see what their relevance are today. Apart from God for New Zealand, Alfred Hill's uh, Hinamoa Cantata is, is probably the only surviving work that we have that has remained in the repertoire since uh, the time it was written. So it's it's quite an important one in that regard. Are there many examples? I mean, did they leave behind them sheet music? 
Ah, uh, yes, yes, a lot of sheet music. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, back again in the 19th century, there was no photocopying machine, no internet, no easy means of disseminating things. So the published sheet music uh, was the most important way of disseminating music back then. Also, uh, many people knew how to sight-read music. Uh, again, it was the sort of sole form of uh, domestic uh, entertainment. Um, so um, sheet music actually flourished, and some pieces um, sold in their thousands and their tens of thousands back then, far more so than we could sell of sheet music today in the comparable New Zealand situation. Composer and music historian Philip Norman. At about half past two this afternoon, Philip is conducting and comparing a concert called Wit and Wisdom at the piano in Otautahi Christchurch uh, and also launching his new book, A Complete Absence of Wit and Wisdom.